I will say this. I've just been asked to be on the women's um, softball team. So uh, I Is this will, the Congressional me, Women's Softball that's Team? That's right. Do you know what? That's right. I am the captain of, you the, are? of the female <laughs> press team. Well, no, no lie. Good or bad, I agreed to be on it. So you'll get to <laughs> judge you for soft, yourself. Are you a softball player? I did. I did play softball when I was Welcome back to Women Rule the Podcast. I'm Carrie Budoff Brown, editor of Politico. That other voice you just heard was Democratic Senator Catherine Cortez Masto, Nevada's first female senator. She's also the first Latina in the U.S. Senate. We chatted with Cortez Masto about a lot of things. Her groundbreaking win in November, working with the Trump administration, and how women bond in the Senate. But before we get to our interview with the senator, we're trying something new here at Women Rule. On this episode, in addition to bringing you behind the scenes with a woman in the Senate, I also wanted to have a conversation with the Politico women covering Congress. We talked with Rachel Bade, who covers the House Republican leadership, and Sungmin Kim, who covers the Senate. And we chatted about a whole bunch of things, what it's like as a woman covering the Hill, covering women on the Hill, and the, the common theme that no matter whether you're you know, in, in office or you're covering people in office, that a lot of women tend to over-prepare and feel like they have to prepare and be completely on their A-game at all times, otherwise they expose themselves. We'll chat with them in a bit. If you like our show, please subscribe to Women Rule on iTunes, rate us, and leave a review. And we'd like to get to know you a little bit better, so we're doing a podcast survey. If you could take two minutes of your time to let us know about you, head over to politico.com slash podcast survey. Women Rule is produced by Politico in partnership with Google and the Tory Burch Foundation. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us. I have a special treat for everybody today. I have a two of my top reporters from Capitol Hill, top reporters anywhere. Um, and they happen to be two amazing women, Rachel Bade and Sungmin Kim. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having us. Being a woman reporting on the Hill, um, what's your first take when I when I ask you that? Being a woman reporting on the Hill, what, is that, what does that mean? Um, I would hope that there would, first of all, be more of us. I think there are... It's still a very male-dominated field, political reporting is, and I think that translates to Capitol Hill. Um, I do have to say, though, I have so I've been on the Hill for about for almost six years, and rarely have I felt disadvantage or advantage um, in either way um, because of my gender. And I think that sometimes we see stories differently than our male colleagues. We definitely prepare differently for... Talk, talk about that. How do you, Give me an example of how you see a story differently and how you come to your job every day feeling different that, or they, that you feel like you have a different... Uh, what you take to it is different in terms of how you prepare. Um, in terms of, I mean, and I know you've talked about this before, before in your previous podcast, but I, and I think it's maybe something that women are naturally inclined to do. I over-prepare, I research, I want to know everything before um, I head into the day or to the stories I have to tackle or to sit down interviews I have because that's just, I don't know if, I, I don't know if it's my personality or if it's more of a, that's kind of what women tend to be. And Rachel, you can disagree with me or not. Um, you're nodding. So. I totally <laughs> agree. Do you, do you over-prepare? Do you yes. feel like you do? As we sit with notes in front of us about some things we want to talk about in this <laughs> yeah, podcast. Definitely. Or like, you know, preparing for mm-hmm. um, a four-minute TV hit for yeah. like two hours or, or something exactly. like that. Where, yes. do you, where do you guys think that comes from? What do you guys? Where do you ladies? Sorry, <laughs> excuse me. Gender roles. Uh, where do you think that comes from? 
Rachel Bade. Say. Um, maybe it's that because there are so like there's so fewer women that we feel like when we stand up and say something, we need to be like profound and we need to make sure we're saying something right and insightful. Um, you talk a lot on your podcast about like feel of fear, fear of failure. Um, I think that, I mean, I, I do know like when I first started this job, I got, I wrote a story and it was taken, it was a tough piece about a member of Congress. And I remember um, the, a flack for that member of Congress calling me and totally like, you know, scolding me, like saying not only that they think it was unfair, but that they thought I was not smart enough to cover Congress and I didn't know what I was talking about. And and it was just like, well, first of all, I don't think that they would have talked to my male colleagues like that, period. Um, but also like it was sort of like I have to be I have to show 100 percent that I am on my game all the time. How did that affect you? When you hear that from somebody, uh, you're reporting, they tell you not only did what you wrote really stinks, but that you're somehow not up to the job. The first one, fine. I mean, yes, we can argue about like stories all day, but like attacking somebody's like intelligence or attacking someone on a personal level, like that just made me angry. And um, one of the women you interviewed talked about how the best revenge for any sort of sentiment like that is to just uh, keep your head down and keep going and doing what you're doing and success is the ultimate revenge and I guess like that's sort of how I've seen it like if anyone's gonna second guess you or doubt you you just write killer stories and they realize they have to reckon with you like they can't but you know dismiss you. you know that creates a cycle that you just you feel like you constantly have to work that much harder and that much harder you can't make mistakes if you do you're exposing yourself I mean that's how I always used to feel as a reporter that um, as thick of a skin as you get over the years, and you ladies are still young, younger than me. Um, I think still to this day, if I were reporting, it, I find it like I'm exposed all the time. And I and so, I mean, what what's an example of a story that you looked at that you feel like your male colleagues didn't necessarily see? So I think one example is this um, debate that we will have that's already beginning about you know childcare um, policies. We've seen um, Ivanka Trump take kind of that interest. We haven't seen it come to fruition yet, but I had done stories with um, Senator Deb Fisher's proposal to do that and kind of the politics surrounding that. Um, I'm not having children just yet, but I think that's something that we as women are just personally more interested in it. And I'm not sure my male colleagues would have taken an interest in that and see, oh, here's here's a fascinating policy story and here kind of the internal, and take the time to kind of realize the internal politics of that kind of story. And I think that... um, and again, with immigration, uh, there are a lot of times that people always people focused on um, kind of the broader themes of the immigration debate. So it's border security and um, the legalization for undocumented immigrants in this country. But there are so many facets to the immigration story. And I remember um, a lot of interesting parts in the debate that were not covered as much, um, for example, family reunification issues that a lot of Democratic senators, including female Democratic senators, um, uh, talked up in the committee, but just did, did not get the attention that um, others did because it wasn't as kind of a sexy of an issue um, in the broader policy debate. So I think that our, our different eyes, our different perspectives just kind of help us to find stories that are interesting that perhaps mm-hmm. sometimes our male colleagues would not. What about the women you cover and, and or just Congress? What are some differences that you notice between how women come to 
you know, being a member of Congress, the House or the Senate versus men? Like, what are sort of the big differences that you've picked up on, Rachel? I would say, and we hear this over and over again in your podcast, women talking about being collaborative. Um, uh, I think at one point somebody said something about, oh, there's less testosterone. So we're we're inclined to just, we want to get stuff done. We want to figure out what is the other side doing? What can we work together on? Um, you know, some um, have said, you know, we'd work with Trump on transportation. Oftentimes when you ask a, a male um, uh Democrat that they would say absolutely not you know we would never do that so and you know I I wonder that if there were more women in the House Republican conference would John Boehner be gone right now because I mean obviously um, there's a lot of bickering in the House Republican conference and a lot of times the bickering we're we're talking to men you know Um, I think women only make up nine percent of the House Republican conference which is what I predominantly focus on Um, so you have to wonder, you know, if there were ma- more women in the House Republican conference, um, how would things sort of mm-hmm. be different in that regard? Well, I mean, I covered the health care reform, the health care uh, bill back in 2009 and 2010. And one of the most remarkable things was watching Nancy Pelosi navigate that as the House speaker at that point. Um, and I actually to this day don't think that it would have passed had Nancy Pelosi not been there pushing it, both from a tactical level, but also um pushing Obama and and Harry Reid. I've always been sort of stunned by that sort of level of skill she showed and I don't know if her male colleagues since then. And I don't think this is a political statement. I think this is just sort of a fact that her male colleagues haven't had the sort of handle on her on the conferences as, as she did at that point in time. Um Sungmin, what what about you? What do you pick up on as you report on Congress? What differences do you notice? How do women bring different experiences to the table? Or is there any difference at all in your view? I think that it's exactly right as it is in the House and in the Senate that a lot of the women senators are naturally more inclined to compromise. That it's actually kind of a good reporting trick. If you see if if the Senate is stuck in some sort of partisan morass, you kind of go up to Susan Collins or Heidi Hank and I'm like, are you working on anything? Like, what are you guys up to? And a lot of times they are trying to craft some sort of a solution. I can think of um, when we had the government shutdown in October 2013. It were it was. It was it was senators such as Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski and um, Kelly Ayotte who ha- were working quietly on a proposal to kind of get us out of that shutdown. It wasn't the one that ultimately passed, but it kind of helped break that logjam and get the two sides back together. It was it's actually really interesting how um, they're often kind of up to something and working on uh, working on proposals to try to get the Senate out of its mess a lot of times. And I think because the Senate tends to be a more um, tight-knit group of, you know, within it, with not only just as a chamber, but the women within the Senate, then perhaps the House maybe be just because of the sheer size. That's why you see a lot more activity coming out of the Senate women, just because they are together a lot. They regularly have dinners together. They talk a lot. Um, they go bowling together at the White House. Yeah. Um, so that's why you can see how that um, friendship and those relationships translate into actual policy. Just to jump in on that, I mean, I, I actually saw how this diffused a recent situation in the House. We had, obviously, the Obamacare repeal bill. Um, House Republicans were super divided on it. Conservatives hated it. Uh, Paul Ryan put it out. Diane Black, um, I mean, she was obviously leadership's uh, a Tennessee Republican. Um, she is the chairwoman of the Budget Committee, uh, newly appointed uh, or elected, I should say, um, 
backed by close with leadership, backed by leader, uh, backed by Speaker Ryan. Um, she had a situation where she had to bring together these two Obamacare repeal bills and have them have it passed her committee, even though there were a bunch of Freedom Caucus members on there, a bunch of conservatives who hate this bill and who, you know, don't want to vote for this bill. And the way she got around it was by I I believe this I was told this was her idea and leadership didn't want to do a lot of one did not want to do amendments on these things. Right. So she came up with a um, sort of a way for them to express themselves in committee by um, allowing them to offer these motions. And some of them eventually became amendments that were accepted by leadership at, you know, uh, down the line in the House Rules Committee. But she gave people a way to express either principles um, that they wanted to see more of in the bill. And in the end, it got through her committee. But I heard she got a lot of kudos for that. And that was, again, like the collaboration sort of pushing it through something controversial. Um, would a male have thought of that? Maybe not. Sungmin, uh, when will we see a, a, a woman Senate majority leader? So the if there is one in the coming years. Have we I even had a Senate minority leader, even a, a woman? We haven't, right? No, there's right? been no top Senate leader that has been a woman. Huh. We've always looked at, and this is looking years and years in the future because Chuck Schumer just did get into his position as Democratic leader and we're expecting him to stay for a while. But we've always looked at Patty Murray of Washington as someone who is definitely in line to lead a caucus someday. And she has won. I mean, if you're talking about a woman who's been able to accomplish a lot, there's she has always been the person in the in the center of these major deals, whether it's the budget deal with Paul Ryan in 2013 or um, major education bill with Lamar Alexander in 2015. But like that's a far away way for it because Chuck away. Schumer just took over. Yeah, we're, he'll be there and, for a while. And he'll be there for a while. Patty Murray has been there for a while as it is, almost, mm -hmm. what, tw 20 years? Yeah, she was elected in the, 92. the year of the woman, yeah. So other than her... There's nobody, right, in leadership on the Democratic side and on the Republican side. Do we have any women in the, Demo is, in the Republican leadership? No, not in the top five. Yeah, okay. Nora, Nora Zanner is the chair. Um, McConnell, uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has what what he calls like these so-called councils to leadership. So he's picked kind of four people um, that advise him on different policy and tactic issues. Two of them are women. It's Shelley Moore Capito of West Virginia and Deb Fisher of Nebraska. Um, we They're definitely in the mix for future leadership leadership jobs someday, especially as these top positions in Senate Republican leadership become term limited, and there are openings for that. But in terms of the immediate future, there um, doesn't seem to be a clear outlook for a woman in a top position, at least for at least a decade, I would say. Yeah, a decade away until we see potentially a woman leading the Senate. Um, Rachel, obviously we had Nancy Pelosi. What's the Who's the next likeliest woman in either party? To ascend, is there one? Yeah, it, I, th I think that House Republicans, in particular, have like a real challenge right now. Um, only nine percent of the conference, as I said, is is are women, um, and um, they're trying to put you know empower um, these women such that they're putting they're getting like committee posts, etc. Um, but I, it's sort of a challenge because and. I will say you should watch, um, I think, Mimi Walters of California, Republican. She's from a swing district, so she's got to watch out for that. But she um, she's really good when you talk to her in the hallway. She's always uh, frank. I could see her going somewhere when Kathy McMorris-Rogers, who is the conference um, chairwoman right now, said that, 
you know, she was making a bid for the interior secretary job. Uh, Mimi Walters was out there right away saying, I'm going to run for this post. So she's aggressive. She's she's probably someone we're going to see move up the ladder. But I will say um, for House Republican women, unlike the Senate and unlike um, House Democrats, I feel like they're a lot more guarded. And it's sort of been a challenge for me as a reporter uh, while covering House Republican women is that a lot of times they don't talk to reporters or if they do, they stay on talking point all the time. And, it's, um, and that kind of puts tough. them at advantage, disadvantage, right? Like because as I reporters, so, we as go a, to the people who, who sort of yes. will be will lean into, you know, discussions with reporters and talk unvarnished, right? As much as you can. That's why Lindsey Graham is so quoted and (laughs) why, you know, uh, John McCain McCain and any number of House members. um, So, right? That's absolutely right. I mean, we Uh look for people who are candid. We look for people who are colorful. Um, Mm -hmm. We look for folks who aren't going to give us the same line that we've been hearing for, you know, several weeks. And this, again, goes back to um, women being like well-practiced. And that's Uh a that can be very much a benefit, but it can also be... um, it can harm them when it comes to actually like talking to the media and raising profile. Exactly. Um, so that has been a challenge for me. And yeah. um, actually after listening to your podcast, I've sort of had an idea, like they often talk, um, the female senators you've interviewed have talked a lot about one-on-ones. And I'm wondering if maybe I should do more one-on-one talks <laughs> with these um, female house Republicans mm-hmm. and see if, you know, after a while it kind of can let yeah. your guard down a little bit, but um, that's definitely a challenge for me. Oh, it's a great point. Well, with that, Thank you so much, ladies. Keep up the great work. Thanks. So we heard from Sungman and Rachel about what they've seen as reporters, that women lawmakers tend to be more collaborative, trying to see compromise. And and we heard a similar thing from uh, Senator Cortez Masto, that that is what she feels is her calling card to get things done in the Senate. Please stay tuned for the interview. Senator, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for the invitation. It's a pleasure to have you. Um, so you're 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 pretty new to Washington, right? You you lived here back in the early 2000s, I but this is you know you're you're here. You're you're one of fifth, one of a hundred people now, which is a change for you. You were only really in an executive branch before. What's it like? What's the transition been like for you? Actually, it's been exciting, um, challenging. Uh, happy to be here. Um, you know, it, I think the best part about it is um, there are 21 women in the United States Senate now. That's more mm-hmm. than we've ever had. Uh, my incoming class, freshman class, albeit small, uh, was uh, majority women and very mm-hmm. diverse. Yes. And that was the exciting part about it. Yes. As as we said in the introduction, mm-hmm. your, your win in November was historic on, on two counts. One is you're the first woman senator from Nevada, and you're the first Latina Ever to be elected to the Senate. That's correct. Um, what was that like on election night? I mean, run me through those feelings of, of knowing that, you know, forever in history, you know, th- this is you. That's kind of a big deal. You know, uh, it, it was an exciting evening, um, but it was bittersweet. Yeah. Uh, and here's why. Um, because there were so many people that worked so hard in Nevada to help not only mm-hmm. me, but many people uh, up and down the ticket. And we turned Nevada blue, quite frankly, from mm-hmm. the top of the ticket all the way down to our state houses, both flipped. Um, and everybody who had worked so hard for a year and a half, uh, just elated. But at the same time, realizing we were going into a new administration with um, President Trump. Uh, and I'll be honest with you, many of the people in Nevada were now concerned about 
what their future was going to be. I had election night. I cannot tell you how many people came up to me crying, uh, happy for me, happy for what we accomplished, but crying because they weren't sure what their future was going to be like, whether their parents were going to be taken from them or whether they were going to be deported from, uh, from a country that all they've ever known and they were raised here was the United States. And they implored me and asked me to do everything I could now as the United States Senator from Nevada to fight for them and fight for the families. And I have to imagine that was different than probably going into that evening, the Washington you thought you were entering, right? Everyone thought, many people thought Hillary Clinton would win. You would have had the first female president as well. And that a lot of, you know, your colleagues in the Democratic Party thought they would take the Senate too. Um, it's a, it's a, so it's a much different landscape than the one you probably mentally prepared yourself for. N- no doubt about it. But you know what? I- I'm glad I'm here at this time and this point in history that I'm here representing a constituency that I know uh, we need to use our voices and I get to be able to stand up and use that voice to push back and and fight against um, what I'm seeing and many of us are seeing, this divisive rhetoric that wants to tear our, our communities apart. Uh, uh, and, you know, and, and I'll be honest with you, the other thing that was exciting for me, it wasn't just about making history, um, but part of it was now um, I can be a voice at the table representing those who are underrepresented. Uh, I can um, be, uh, uh, but part of it also is I can also be um, somebody that, Others, particularly the young Latinas, come up to me now, and they did during the campaign, finding out that I would potentially be the first Latina, and they were excited. And their excitement was uh, not only for me, but their excitement I could see in their eyes was that if she can do it, I can do it too. And that's what I want them to believe. I want them to know that this is one barrier we just knocked down, and we've just opened that door that much wider for more people to pass through so that fact that you are here, that you are the first Latina, how has that played out in practice, let's say, in the last two months since you've been sworn in? Take me into a room where you being there mattered because you were a woman and you were Latina. Sure. I can tell you right now, Senate Rules Committee I sit on, uh, we looked at revamping some of our uh, caucus rules. And the first thing I said, where's the diversity? We should be mandating diversity um, in our committees, mandating diversity in our hiring practices, mandating diversity uh, throughout the United States Senate. And, and I will tell you... Um, you're talking about on the staff level? When on the you, staff level mm-hmm. here, just in the United States Senate. And um, Senator Schumer, our majority leader, has agreed to it. And that's why his focus now is on, not only has he hired staff to just focus on diversity, but bringing more of the diversity here into the United States Senate. That's one. Two... Um, since I've been a United States Senator, I made a point of really reaching out to so many people in, in, in my community in Nevada, whether they're Latino or whether they're uh, Asian American Pacific Islander. You've got to remember, mm-hmm. Nevada's got the fastest mm-hmm. growing population of AAPI, and their issues are similar um, uh, to the Latino community when it comes to comprehensive immigration reform and addressing immigration issues. Um, and so I've had the opportunity to have... Um, participate in immigrant uh, rights forums um, to ensure that my office is a place where individuals can come for individual casework needs. Were you surprised at when you're when you, just to bring you back to the rules committee uh, push that you're making? Were you surprised to see how non-diverse the staff was here? Is that a, a real problem for you? And 
But well, I, I will tell you, um, you just have to walk in the room and look at the senators that are there, the hundred senators, right? Uh, you could see uh, the lack of diversity. And But you know what I have to say? I was an attorney general for Nevada for eight years, traditionally male-dominated role to be in law enforcement, uh, one of 100, right? Each mm-hmm. state has their own. And when I walked into a room of my colleagues, it was the same thing. Um, very, uh, unfortunately, a lot of um, uh, a lack of diversity. Um, I have always been of the position that um, our government should be just as diverse as the communities we represent. Mm-hmm. And so our staffing should be just as diverse. Nevada mm-hmm. has grown uh, in its diversity and it's our strength. And why wouldn't we embrace it? Why, why are we fighting it? Uh, I, I don't quite get this, particularly when I know um, after I've seen studies uh, that had um, really looked at uh, passing comprehensive immigration reform in this country, that it would contribute to our economy. That if we had just passed the Senate version uh, that passed out of the, the Senate uh, of comprehensive immigration reform, it would have reduced our de- deficit by a trillion dollars and added over $800 billion to our gross domestic product. To stay on this topic just for a little bit longer, one of the other things you did was uh, start uh, sort of sessions with younger women of color. Um, the Senate staff mentoring young women. Take me into that room. What kind of stories did you hear from these women when you're meeting them? And and, and tell me a little bit about incredible stories. Yes. Mm No, incredible. And that's why I do what I do. Um, You know, on the campaign trail, I met a young girl. Her name is Emily Diaz. And I met her because she wrote me a letter. Mm -hmm. Uh, And she said um, that she's a fifth grader in the local elementary school in Las Vegas. And um, she found out I was potentially going to be the first Latina to the United States Senate, was very excited for me, and then proceeded to tell me that she, as a Latina, was also running for student government mm-hmm. in the fifth grade there at her elementary school, and then she asked me for tips on how to win. And what so, did you tell her? I said, well, I've got to meet this young girl, <laughs> so the next uh, reception that we had, I invited uh, her and her mother to come. And uh, she was incredible. She had uh, a clipboard with her questions and um, very well put together. And we sat down, we talked, and she asked me a lot of questions. We had a great conversation. But her final question to me was, there's one thing I I want you to continue to promise me you'll fight for. Uh, And she said, I was born in this country, but my mother was not. And I'm afraid under a Trump administration that um, she, I will lose her. I can't stress this enough. These are not made-up stories. These are real people that have come out to tell me their stories for that very reason. And she's one of many that I have heard um, uh, in Nevada and across this country. And and I say that because these are the faces of real people. And these are young kids. And I, I don't know about you, but when I was 14, even when I was uh, 10 years old, this wasn't an issue that I had to be concerned about. Uh, and these are issues that our kids should not have to be concerned about. But we're in a different time. So what do you tell them, given that this administration obviously doesn't see this issue the same way you do, and they're taking steps that probably give you, it would obviously worry quite a few people that live in your state, and, and just you in particular, like, what do you tell them? Well, a couple I, of things. One, I'm going to continue to fight, mm-hmm. which I've been doing, whether it is passing legislation, um, which is my first legislation here as a United mm-hmm. States Senator, to rescind um, the Trump executive order um, engaging in mass deportations, uh, whether it's uh, meeting with the Secretary of Homeland Security, who I've met with twice now, to talk about the real stories and things that are happening on the ground uh, in Nevada and across this country. What kind of response are you country. getting from him? Um, we, we're having discussions. Let me just mm-hmm. say this. Um, is it a response that um, I'm happy with in the sense that he's agreed, okay, I, I hear what you're saying, we're going to change this? No. 
but is he willing to listen? Yes, and I'm I'm happy for that. Um, I think what we need is to continue that discussion on a regular basis mm-hmm. so he can hear what is happening on the ground with his ICE agents and what is truly um, occurring in the communities versus what he is hearing at his level. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of things he was willing to look into, which I thought was was good. Mm-hmm. We need more conversations. But here's the best part about all of this, right? So those kids who were born in this country, whose parents may not have been born in this country, those kids who are living through this now, whether Trump realizes it or not, uh, he's creating a new future generation of kids who are going to be fighting to protect the diversity and the country that I know and I grew up in uh, in the future. And they will be a force to be reckoned with. And I'm so excited to see that. <laughs> and I will tell you, and it's going to happen sooner than we realize. Trump is a mobilization tool for, <laughs> exactly. for exactly. But to that point, um, bring me through your process of, descri- of of deciding how you were going to run for, for this office in, in particular. Um, there's a lot of research and thought being that, that is put into how to encourage women to run for office. So I'm curious to know what your story is. No, it's great. Uh, I, I, and I say it's, it's a great topic because here's why. And I, I talked about this all the time to women who are interested. There is a tendency for women to overthink things, right? And mm-hmm. so we think, oh... Can I really, if I decide to run for office, am am I qualified? Do I have the educational experience? Do I have the background? Do I have the ability? Um, And I will tell you, um, there are uh, men who look at the same uh, office and say, well, how much does it pay? And let me jump in and see. Uh, I think we need to do a better job of uh, talking with women to say, no, you don't need to do that analysis. What you need to do is have a passion in something you believe in mm-hmm. and that you're fighting for and that you're going to make change. And this office that you're running for is going to help you make that change. It's the reason why I ran for attorney general. And I served as attorney general in the state of Nevada for eight years. First office I ever ran for statewide and won. But I was passionate about the issues that I felt we needed to address and went around the state talking about it. That's the same reason why I ran for U.S. Senate. But I would say even that, like, it's, I think there are a lot of women who would say I, it takes more than passion, right, to, well, to run no. for office. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I yeah. need more support than believing that. No, but that's where is, it starts. Okay. Listen, there are, mm-hmm. I, I believe in Emily's List. I believe in Emerge mm-hmm. programs. I believe in all of those and have funded Emerge programs mm-hmm. to help women, uh, support groups to help women um, with the uh, technical expertise they need to run for mm-hmm. office. There's no doubt we need yeah. those. But it starts with the individual mm-hmm. uh, who's willing to run uh, and know that. And I say you have to have the passion because the voters know whether you're there mm-hmm. or not. They know you're sincere or not. They know they can believe in you or not based on what you say to them and how you talk with them. That's where it starts. Yes, I believe there should be uh, counter uh, programs out there to help women mm-hmm. like Emerge, like Emily's List. I, what is Emerge? So Emerge is a program that has started, there's one in Nevada and across the country, and it is a training ground. It's mm-hmm. a training ground for women who either run, want to run for office or work on a campaign to support mm-hmm. other women to run for office. And it mm-hmm. shows them how to raise money, gives them technical skills, uh, talking, speaking, policy, different issues mm-hmm. that they need to, to, to focus on. Uh, and those programs are instrumental. Uh, I think that's part of what we need, should be doing for, for women. So did you, the whole second guessing, the thing that women do, I've done it myself as I've been asked to move up the ladder. It's like, am I really qualified to do that? I I would ask myself all that all the time. I think I wake up every day and sometimes wonder that. Um, you don't second guess your abilities? No, I, I don't. And I, um, I don't because um, 
I think I'm stubborn. And if somebody <laughs> tells me I can't do something, then I'm just going to prove them wrong. Yeah. Um, and, you know, part of that is a, a culture, too. I grew up with incredible parents, right? Mm-hmm. I have an older sister and, um, and, and two parents that were fantastic, hardworking, working-class parents, but always said, you can do whatever you set your mind to. And I, I, and I watched them do it. They, mm-hmm. they led. My grandparents were the same way, you know. Uh, my grandfather, my dad's side, uh, came to this country from Chihuahua to work hard and achieve, and look where we are. Same on my mother's side. I have gr- a great-grandfather from Italy uh, came to this country to achieve, and look where we are. So uh, it is about believing in yourself and not letting anyone else tell you you can't do something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just being persistent in knowing if you work hard, uh, and you set your mind on it, um, you're going to hopefully six, have success. Now, you know, all of us fail at some point in time. I failed mm-hmm. uh, at some point in time, but you learn from those and, and, and you how, move forward. How do you push through that failure and the fear that sometimes can encompass mm-hmm. you before you you take on something big? Because you realize you weren't the only one that ever dealt with that mm-hmm. failure. And there's mm-hmm. others before you that have and there will be more after you that do. The one thing I thought you you have you have said, which I thought was pretty interesting, you said, "Had I known what it was like to run for a statewide office, I probably wouldn't have done it." Which is which is a, there's a little bit of 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 second guessing there. Or what, what did you mean by that? And what exactly were you talking about? Yeah, I think that that goes into the doubt sometimes. Yeah. Um, I don't think it would have stopped me, but it would have given me pause mm-hmm. um, when when you jump into something for the first time and you don't know all of the ramifications, everything that is. Um, yeah. um, required of it. Uh, sometimes um, being blissfully ignorant about yeah. helps you move through it, yes. right? Uh, but there are times when you know, oh my gosh, this is going to be a daunting task and this is going to be something that will give you a pause or cause mm-hmm. you to second guess yourself. So what exactly are you talking about there? Though? Same was- thing. I, I think that part of it is joking, but part of it is um, is having, knowing, if I knew everything that I had to do to run statewide, uh, which is it, it it took up um, really a lot of my family life. It took up a lot of my time to get around the state of Nevada. And you have to understand, Nevada's a big state. Mm-hmm. So um, you have to, just between Las Vegas and Nevada is over 400 miles. Mm-hmm. And if you're not on a plane getting there, then you're driving and it's going to take eight hours. What, what's one thing that people um, would surprise people or people don't know about what it is to be a woman on the campaign trail or in public office? I mean, other than other women. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I, that's a tough one. That's a tough one because here's why I don't know any other, I don't yeah. know any other, I, I'm a woman mm-hmm. and, and I was traditionally, not only am I a woman, but I chose, uh, for a good part of my career to be in, in law enforcement, which mm-hmm. is predominantly male. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, and an attorney, uh, at the time when I was an attorney, predominantly male, the first law firm I ever worked for, I was the only female associate. Um, so I, I don't. Uh, I I can't answer that other mm-hmm. than to say I am goes back to your first question. Uh, I'm stubborn and persistent, and I think um, anybody that told me I couldn't achieve or couldn't do something, I was going to prove them wrong. What is the biggest difference between men and women as they approach their job here in the Senate? Is there one? I don't know. I can't speak for my male colleagues. It's tough. I haven't been here long enough to make mm-hmm. that determination. Um, I will tell you this though: um, it's fascinating the bonding. Mm. Um, women, um, in particular, uh, our bonding is, and we've already both Republicans and Democrats, we've met, 
already had 21 women that's right Mm -hmm. 21 women first thing we did let's go have dinner Mm -hmm. and it wasn't talking policy it wasn't talking bills it was let's get to know one another Uh, let's learn about our families Uh, let's have a conversation and that was fantastic our bonding is usually around lunch or dinner or those kinds of things Um, and I think uh, my male colleagues their bonding is around basketball or sports Mm -hmm. um, or golf or athletics uh, it's fascinating. However, I will say this. I've just been asked to be on the women's um, softball team. So uh, I Is this will the Congressional me, Women's Softball that's Team? That's right. Do you know what? That's right. I am the captain of, you the, are? of the female <laughs> press team. Well, no, no lie. Good or bad, I agreed to be on it. So you'll get to <laughs> judge you for soft, yourself. Are you a softball player? I did. I did play softball when I was you know younger. What? I have been doing this for years, and it's a charity for the for the audience. Um, and it's pretty evenly split, press winning and 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 the women lawmakers. But the women lawmakers have gotten so much better in recent years good. that you've lost some really good hitters like Kelly Ayotte and some others. Uh-huh. But yes, we will be seeing each oh, other good. again good. soon. I so look you agreed to, to do it. That's good. That's mm-hmm. good. That is a good bonding exercise for women. I did actually on my end. It was. I was asked to do it years ago, and I found it to be this uh, wonderful thing because I got to know other women on other competitors, and it was actually a very wonderful thing to have this off-site sort of interaction with other women, and then you had sort of a sense of camaraderie when we would come in here in the, in the capital and work and compete against each other, but there was there was some sort of connection there that carried through. And, and I that's think that what I think is important. important. Yeah. No, and that's why I yeah. do it. I, I think it's important to build those relationships because then you can work together. Then mm-hmm. you can find common ground when you have to. Uh, you have respect for one another, and, and you can work together yeah. to find solutions to those issues. So uh, I, it's important, and I'm looking forward to it. Okay. <laughs> or should, you, should no, I be looking I don't, forward I'm, to I'm, it? I'm nervous, I have to say. I haven't played. <laughs> I was overseas, and so I haven't played the last two years. So we'll see how I do. Um, the Trumps, or the Trump administration, um, is there any way that you can see yourself working with them at this point? Or is, are there places where you do see potential for common ground? Well, I, I will tell you, there are a couple of areas. Yes, I think that um, we, we should be able to, that are um, bipartisan, mm-hmm. um, or really should be nonpartisan. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are investing in our infrastructure. I agree. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody who sat on the Department of Transportation Board in the state of Nevada for seven years uh, knows um, that uh, investing in our roads and highways and bridges and airports is important, especially for a destination mm-hmm. like Las Vegas and Reno, right? A tourist destination state. Uh, yes, we can invest in our mm-hmm. infrastructure. The administration wants to do that. We should be able to work together. Um, doing more for our veterans. Again, mm-hmm. an issue that is bipartisan. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, we should be doing everything we can um, to help veterans, our active military. Um, but particularly when it comes to veterans, to make sure that their ha- hospitals are staffed, that they have the personnel that they need, that, that we're doing everything we can with their benefits and supporting them. That, to me, is an issue Mm -hmm. that we can work on. Uh, I'm an attorney general of the state. Homeland security and state Mm -hmm. security have always been important for me. That's an issue that, again, uh, we can work on as long as it's common sense and reasonable. I think there are things that we can do to ensure uh, that we're protecting against terrorist activity. My goodness. Again, protecting our homeland is important. Are you feeling pressure, though, from like the grassroots that any sort of bipartisanship at this point could be detrimental or there's a lot of pressure coming from the grassroots on these big votes, certainly, as there was in the Supreme Court nomination. Um, I've heard from other Democrats who have talked about the outreach from the White House and concerns about not giving them cover because they don't agree with a lot of what the Trump administration is doing or saying. I mean, at what point, 
you know, do you feel like you can engage, you want to engage? Do you see a role for Democrats to do that? I will tell you uh, the very things I've just talked to you yeah. about. I've mm-hmm. talked to people in Nevada and nobody's given mm-hmm. me pushback. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think that's it, the issue alone is just to say no for sake of saying no. I, I'm not hearing that at least from mm-hmm. the groups in Nevada or the people in Nevada. Mm-hmm. Um, what they're very passionate about are the issues that we're talking about now, which is uh, uh, immigration reform and tearing our families apart or uh, defunding Planned Parenthood. That's going to have a devastating impact for uh, men, women, and children who wouldn't normally have access to health care. And rightfully so, they should be concerned. I'm concerned about that. Um, and so, unfortunately, what we have seen this administration going down a path of uh, focused on um, passing political promises that don't necessarily make good policy mm-hmm. and good governing. Women's slant to policy experiences that you as a woman bring to the table or issues that you dealt with, let's say back in Nevada, Mm -hmm. um, that didn't have sort of an overtly sort of, uh, from the, you know, from the sort of outside, it didn't have necessarily, it wasn't clear if there was like a women's angle to the issue you were dealing with, but it surprised you that there was. Are there issues you've dealt with in the past or issues that you are looking at now that have sort of a hidden slant to it that, you know, really disproportionately affect women? Um, I will say one area um, that now that I'm trying to address um, when it comes to our small businesses Mm -hmm. and the fact that we have a lot of women-owned businesses um, that are incredible that we should be supporting, but we don't do enough to ensure that they get the access to capital, that they get the federal contracting. What's the most surprising thing you've discovered being here now um, when you're on the Senate floor or in the cloakroom talking to other, other senators? I mean, what... What is a moment that you can recall for us where you're like, wow, I, that's shocking or that's surprising or I never thought that that would be that way or that would have happened? Hmm. Let me see. Something I can tell you on the air. Um, <laughs> yeah, I will. Let, let me say this. I, what is um, pleasantly surprising um, is that my colleagues, some of them that I have gotten to know, both Democrats and Republicans, there are some that just really want to work together and want to get things done. Um, and um, I like that because that's why we're here. And you're saying that's surprising because it doesn't look like that from Because afar? from the perception, and rightfully mm-hmm. so, it looks like there's just this partisan bickering, which there is, um, and uh, nobody wanting to get anything done or work together. Uh, and it's unfortunate because uh, there are many of us that I have met that we've already talked about how we can find common ground um, on issues that are impacting our states uh, to work together. And that's how it should be. Uh, unfortunately, um, that's not always happening at all levels um, in the United States Senate. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. No, I mean, I, I think from from afar, it doesn't look like anybody's mm-hmm. getting along these days, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So what are the tricks that you're using to try to to build bridges that we're, that we're sort of not aware of from... From the outside, at this I think it's point. important just to to reach out to people yeah. to say, "Would you like to go have coffee?" or "I'd like yeah. to come visit you in your office and sit down and talk um, and get to know you." Some have done it for me, uh, and some that I'm doing with others as well. And I think that's important for me. It's it's identifying areas that I know that maybe from their state um, that they're dealing with that I might have to deal with in Nevada that we can mm-hmm. figure out how to work together. And the seat, the Harry Reid seat, that's what you're in right now. Um, does that carry any kind of extra 
weight to it. In, I in wish I'm number one hundred. Yeah, I'm ninety nine <laughs> exactly. now in seniority. So no, so, I did not get his office. I did not get uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. any of those benefits. Do you take any? Is there any part of his legacy that you're trying to? Uh, maintain or? Oh, I'll tell you one thing we do have in common. Uh, we were both born and raised in Nevada and love it. And at the end of the six years, knowing what you know now, two and a half months in, what would be like the top three things you would will have wanted to say that you did here mm-hmm. um, personally? Yeah, I mean, on the legislation. Yeah, with the legislation yeah. or just even speaking to how you're making these early efforts, the f- emphasis you're putting on diversity, increasing the diversity here. I think it sort of really speaks to you know, some longstanding issues that people have identified about the Senate. It's 100 senators. It's still only 21 women, still a very small number of minority senators. Um, if you, you know, I assume at some point you would like to be the fifth or, or sixth Latin, Latina to Latino in the Senate. After six years, like where, where would you want, let's just speak specifically about that. Where would you want that to be? I, I want to see more diversity at all levels. So yeah. we've talked about mm-hmm. it, really, not just here in the Senate mm-hmm. amongst the staff. Um, I, I think those are uh, important areas for us to focus on that diversity because um, it's also succession planning. Uh, those individuals can go on to run for a statewide office or a federal office at some point in time. Um, I think it's important here in the United States Senate um, when we bring in interns, we make that uh, a diversity process. Why does it matter when you're legislating? Because it brings a different perspective to um, and a voice to the table of those who would not normally be at the table. And do you have an example of that as you as a Latina? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And we we just talked about it. Mm -hmm. Comprehensive immigration reform. Mm -hmm. You know, I I am the product of it. My grandfather came from Chihuahua, Mexico, across Mm -hmm. the Rio Grande, um, served in our military and became a United Mm -hmm. States citizen. And he came to this country because he had an opportunity to succeed and make sure his family had Mm -hmm. every opportunity when, you know, Donald Trump was campaigning about Mexicans being rapists and killers and drug dealers, he's talking about my family. Uh, you know, my family, grandfather's from Mexico. I'm, uh, my dad's Mexican-American. My grandmother's Mexican-American. I mean, the, the, I am the face of it. And so that to me is important because that's when I say I'm a, a voice at the table now that was underrepresented. That's what I mean. That's why diversity is so important. Thank you. Well, thank you, Senator, for joining us. I enjoyed. Thank you. Thank you.